The teaching for this evening is based on Psalm 121. This is God's word. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. So we are, uh, if you're new or uh, perhaps have been away for a few weeks, we're continuing into a new series here at Red Mountain on, um, from the Psalms, specifically Psalms uh, 120 to 30, 134, which are all referred to as the Psalms of Ascent. They were Psalms that the Israelites would have sung as they made their way up to Jerusalem three times a year for the major uh, feast festivals that God had laid out in the Old Testament. And these were the songs that they would have sung. And as such, uh, many have seen in these psalms not just um, an historical reference to what used to be done, but also a metaphor that these psalms encapsulate what a life looks like that's lived upward toward God. And therefore, these psalms really begin to characterize and describe what What's the journey of faith sound like? What's it look like from the inside? And I think it's important to, to remind us uh, from time to time that these psalms are poems. They're not, they're not narrative. They're not description. It's not like, it's not like these are uh, like a trail guide with descriptions about what to look for or what to look out for to stay away from. These are rather visceral poems. They're emotional poems. They, they will push and pull on us. They give you words for perhaps experiences that are hard to even verbalize. And they draw us in. They speak to us as if we're part of what is actually happening in the first person, not like we're just third-person observers. And right away, Psalm 121 does this very thing with its opening verse when it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, and from where does my help come? This opening question immediately confronts us. And I want you to think for a moment. Uh, Lots of commentators uh, have made various attempts to explain what is in view here by the hills or also could be understood as the mountains. And if you remember that these psalms are a picture of a journey, you have to kind of picture somebody traveling through mostly arid land, desert kinds of territory with various sizes of hills and mountains, and they're traveling through valleys. And Throughout their journey, they would be looking up and seeing these enormous hills. And one of the things I think about 
this psalm and how to think about the hills here is especially in light of Psalm 120, which is a psalm of distress, that most likely these hills are a metaphor for the things that press in on us. They're the things that loom large in our lives. They're the things that provoke fear and anxiety and worry in our lives. To kind of bring it down to um, perhaps, you know, if you can think back to me when you're 10 or 11 years old, and if you ever try to camp in your backyard, it was, I always remember doing this. I thought it was the coolest thing. I loved doing it. I'd get all the stuff out there, all the snacks I needed, basically try to move my entire room into the tent. It would get dark. I'd go inside the tent. I'd close the tent. And it was really quiet. And all of a sudden, I started to hear things. I didn't know what they were. And those things got louder, and they got louder. And I got more scared. And all of a sudden, it was as if just this rush of terror and fear was so palpable and strong. I was, I was sure something was going to come crashing through my tent. And after about 10 minutes of being in the tent, that camping trip was over. <laughs> I'm back inside in the safety of my parents in my house. That's kind of how I want you to think about how these hills operate. Think about these hills or these mountains as the surroundings that you live in that press in on you, that loom over you that perhaps a lot of time you don't really hear them or they're not that acute. But from time to time, sooner or later, those things become very loud and very overwhelming. And so I want just you to think at the beginning here, what's pressing in on you as you come here this evening? What are you bringing into this room, into this time, of worship? What looms largest in your life? Maybe it's work. Maybe you are under a host of deadlines and you're not sure how you're going to make it. Maybe you work for a boss who is not particularly fair or thoughtful or considerate that you actually have a life beyond your work. Or maybe it's your marriage. And you're here this evening, and maybe no one knows about that. Maybe it's just you and your spouse, and it is not going well, and it's sucking the life out of both of you. Or maybe it's parenting. Maybe you are one of those parents, like almost all parents, where you wake up and you think, I'm not going to do that again today. I'm not going to respond the way that I did yesterday. And No sooner does that get out of your mouth than you did it again. Or perhaps parenting. You find yourself relating to children, your children, and you don't know what to do. You don't know how to help. You don't know how to have conversations. You don't know how to help them to see themselves or their world differently. You see them frustrated, struggling, And you don't know how to help. 
What is it that looms in your life that's pressing in on you tonight? You know, I, I, I find it fascinating that the psalmist here doesn't specify that for us. And I think that's intentional because it actually invites us to fill in the blank. And the Bible does this a lot, where we might like to know exactly what is it that this psalmist is, has in mind, but he doesn't. And it creates space for you and for me to own this psalm, to make it your own. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to look at the psalm and look at three, three under three headings here. I want to look at the ultimate context for our problems and struggles and our fears in verse 2. Then I want to look at the character of God's keeping, his guarding, his watching, and then finish with the love that will never let you go. So first, let's look at the ultimate context here that the psalmist gives us. After asking this question and giving voice to his fears and what presses in on his life, he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I just want to point out two brief things. He gives us a context here for our problems. Why is that important to mention right at the beginning? Because I think a lot of times we forget this. And we feel like we live in a vacuum. What's the point? What does it all mean? Where do I fit? And here, just in verse 2, the psalmist gives us two vitally important things to remember. The first is, he gives us the name of God. And secondly, he speaks to God's power. Look in verse 2, he says, my help comes from the Lord. Now, it'd be easy just to, to run right by that. And my guess is, if you, if you have a Bible with you, or you go and look at one at home tonight, you may notice that the word LORD is in all caps. And for most English translations, when that happens, that, that name is very important. It's God's covenant name. It's the name that he always uses when he's talking to his people to reveal who he really is to them, his love and commitment to them. One of the best places to go for this is in Exodus chapter 34. This is after the first two tablets have been broken, uh, the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, the whole, the whole situation is in shambles. And God calls Moses to come back to him. And he gives him another uh, two tablets. And in doing that, he reveals his name to Moses. And he says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, same name that we see here in Psalm 121, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So the, the first aspect of the context that the psalmist gives us for understanding our lives, all of it, is remembering the name of the Lord. 
His covenant name. But secondly, he speaks here of God's power when he says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And this is in direct contrast to the hills or the mountains in verse 1. Here the psalmist is saying, My help comes from the one who made those hills, those mountains. In other words, what the psalmist is telling us is that the Lord who is our help is unmatched in his power. He is sovereign over everything. He made everything. He keeps everything going. But not only is it this big, huge vision of God and his power, we also realize that this power of God, not only does it include everything he made, it actually reaches to the very smallest detail. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus here is speaking to his disciples and and he says to them, speaking actually to them about not being afraid when he sends them out on the work that he has for them to do. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So first, this context for our problems really sits in God's name and God's power. But how exactly? If our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, how does he do that? What's it look like? And then we get the answer in the rest of the psalm in verses 3 through 8. And I want you to see here that the answer comes to us in this word, keep. It occurs eight times in verses 3 through 8. And explicitly in verse 5, he says, the Lord is your keeper. So I want to look with you at what does this mean? What does it mean that the Lord is your keeper? That he's your guard? That he watches over you? And I'm going to zip through a number of things here, even just in these six verses. The first one is, look in verse 3, the very first part. He will not let your foot be moved. Now, what's he talking about? What he's saying here is that the Lord will not let you fail in this journey of faith. This image here of not letting your foot be moved comes, it it carries with it the idea of a journey, of a path. It's reminiscent of Proverbs 16, verse 9, when it says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Here's an imagery of a path that's rocky, perhaps sometimes rough, difficult to walk on, easy to trip and fall. But it's precisely on that kind of path that God is committed to your forward progress. And here he says, he will not let your foot slip. In other words, what he's saying is, he will see you through to the end safely. But not only... Does the Lord make sure that you don't fall? He keeps your foot from slipping. In verse 3 and 4, we realize that the Lord is always watching. How can you know that he will keep your foot from stumbling? Well, he who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Here's an image of, you could imagine, of a city where there's guards overlooking the city. And no one is ever asleep. They're always watching. They're always ready. They're never taken off guard. They're always prepared. Nothing is a surprise. That's how God is described. He never is asleep on the job. He is always attentive to you. So attentive to you that he knows your every step. But not only does he keep your foot from slipping because he's always watching, he's also your protector. Look in verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Now, think about this for a moment. If you're standing next to someone and it's a really sunny day, how close do you have to be for your shade to fall on them? I suppose it kind of depends on where the sun is, but you have to be pretty close. The idea here that the Lord is your shade, it's an image that that brings to mind God's presence, that he's with you, that he will never leave you or forsake you. And not only his presence, but also that he's willing to bear the brunt of what might otherwise harm you. If you look in verse 6, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night, because the Lord is your shade. Here is a God who helps by standing in the gap. This is an echo of the gospel. That you could see Jesus. He is your shade. He takes what you and I deserve. He stands in the gap. He bears the brunt so that what actually should strike us doesn't. So he keeps your feet from stumbling. He's always watching. He's your protector. And so to think about this, just to give a a, a summary here of verses 3 to 5, what does it mean that the Lord is your keeper? It means that he is stable, that he's reliable, that he's safe. But there's more. When we come to verses 6 through 8, if you have time later, come back to this and and look for a moment, and you'll notice that verses 6 through 8 essentially say the same thing, but in reverse order of his verses 3 through 5. And the point of these verses is that the Lord will be your keeper in every situation, in the worst situation both now and forever. So verse 6, the Lord is your keeper in every situation. When the psalmist here says, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night, there's been a lot of ink spilt about, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be struck by the sun or to be struck by the moon? It's not as hard to think about the sun, especially in the ancient Near East, in a desert region where if you're journeying all day long under that kind of heat, you're going to feel the effects of a beating hot sun, either in getting burned or dehydrated or exhausted. The whole idea about being struck by the moon, some writers see in that an allusion to 
the effects of sort of delusion. Whatever the case is, doesn't really matter. Because what the psalmist is doing here is he's using a, a common Hebrew term, a common Hebrew method of basically saying something very straightforward in a bit more poetic way. He's expressing everything by naming a pair of opposites. So here when he says the, the sun by day or the moon by night, those are two opposites that are meant to say everything in between. And so the Lord is your keeper in every situation. And then if we move on to verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord is your keeper in the worst situation. No, it's not that we won't experience suffering or struggle. But what are we promised here in verse 7? What we are promised here is that God promises a well-armed life. What does that mean? Well, think of Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the Lord is your keeper in the worst situation. And then verse 8, the Lord is your keeper now and forever. He says there, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He's saying the Lord watches over you and guards you no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether your decisions are good or foolish, whether you're being kind to other people or they're being kind to you. He is with you, keeping you, watching over you all the time. Now that was just a whole list of of things the psalmist gives us. Now, why is it important for us to pause and, and to even make note of those things? Because in the midst of the weightiness of life, pressures that loom and press in on you, the first thing we are going to forget are all of these things. We might not say that right now, but when life begins to unravel in front of you, if we're honest, one of the very first things we forget is God. And here, he gives us a rich and full picture of God as your helper, as your keeper. Now, how, as we move on to our last point here about the love that will never let you go, I think there's still lurking in our hearts a deep suspicion Or I'll put it personally, I find myself, if I'm honest, bubbling up is a deep suspicion about is this really true? Can this really be true for me? Will God really be my keeper? Not just in general, in some vague sense, but my keeper. How can you know and be sure that he will be your keeper. I want us to ask that. I want us to wrestle with that. How can you be sure that he will never let you go? 
And I, I want to I begin to address this by somewhat of an anecdotal story here. The first time this really caused me problem, this psalm, this specific psalm, and specifically verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. I had a, when I was in campus ministry, I, uh, there was a student involved, and uh, she was an Olympic-level uh, athlete, an exceptional student. And as we got to know her and spent time with her, I'll spare you details, but from about age 5 until about age 22, her home life was horrendous. And it left, I mean, it left unremovable damage and marks on her, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And we were sitting in our living room one time, and she said to me, Will, how can I believe this? How can I actually read that and say that the Lord will keep you from all evil? Because I've experienced a lot of it doesn't feel like this is true for me. And I have to say that that has haunted me for a long time, and to a great degree it still does. Because my greatest fear is that whatever I tell you next will feel like a platitude. It will feel like explaining away or even giving a reason for suffering and wrong and evil that ought not be. And I don't ever want to presume to, to know why do those things happen. I don't, I'm not privy to that. You're not privy to that. But what I, as I thought about that question and it haunted me, it began to dawn on me one day, I think what God is saying to us here. What I think he's telling us in this psalm is that we're not promised that we will never experience suffering and sorrow, even of the most horrendous kind. There's just too much in Scripture, and even in history, that says otherwise. In fact, we read in a number of places in the Scriptures to not be surprised by suffering and hardship and absorbing wrongdoing at the hands of others. But what God is saying to us is that nothing can separate us from him. When he says here, he will keep you from all evil, he will keep your life, what he is saying, as one writer put it, none of the things that happen to you, none of the troubles you encounter have any power to get between you and God to dilute his grace in you or divert his will from you. Think of it like this. And this is why I, I have to admit, I'm a bit worried. I, I'm going to read this passage and we're going to hear it like a platitude because it's one of those verses that gets cross-stitched. And if that happens, you know it's platitude. I'm I'm kidding. Especially if you like cross-stitching, I'm, that's fine. But I'm really, I'm, this is not a platitude. This is the best news I could possibly give you. Listen to how Paul puts this. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the one thing that you need on this journey of faith? The one thing you need is the love of God in Christ. To have that means you are kept. It means you are safe. And, and, and I'm serious. I don't know what kind of suffering you and I might experience this side of heaven. And so I'm, I'm, not, trying to, I'm not trying to be flippant. But to, there is nothing you and I are going to face that can wrench you out of his hands. Not your shame, not your guilt, not what someone has done to you, not what you've done to someone else. You see, to belong to Jesus means he will never let you go. Now, why do you know that? How can you know that? You, know, you can know that because God gave his son. He did not spare his own son. And if he didn't spare his own son, how will he not give you everything you need? He has withheld nothing in order to show you the lengths to which he is willing to go. So no matter what you face, no matter what looms in on you, no matter what pressures you experience, how helpless you feel, none of that can separate you from his love poured out in Christ for people like you and me. So, let me ask you, where does your help come from? The answer this psalm gives us to own for ourselves is my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And nothing can separate us from him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we continue to look at these psalms and specifically this one, we pray that you would help us to, to make these words our own. That we would be quick to cry out to you with those things that uh, we are afraid of and are helpless to deal with. And we pray that you would also give us a true sense of the experience and confidence that we read about from the psalmist here. To know you as our helper and our keeper who will keep us in every situation and in the worst situations now and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.